0: Well, last week we began with a, a series of questions, and so we'll do the same this week. How about questions like, is it okay to drink? How about uh, gamble? Play the lottery? Get a tattoo? Or maybe let's not think so big. How about, can we, can we, mow, can we mow our yard on Sunday afternoon? Can we, uh, I mean, this is, there, there's all kinds of questions we have to ask in different churches. Uh, what do we wear What's okay to wear? Is it okay for ladies to wear pants? That's being asked in churches. About long hair, what's long? Who's it long on? All kinds of questions like this. And of course, some of us, we ask the question, well, isn't it all okay once we go out of town? (laughs) You've ever heard the phrase, county line Baptist, right? It's all okay on the other side of the county. Or maybe, maybe the bigger question is very simply this, and this is kind of a real theological question. Since we have freedom, since we've been forgiven, then does it matter what we do? Does it matter how we live? Oh, we have a great friend in the person of Jesus Christ, don't we? Man, we have a great friend. We have a great Savior. We have somebody that is for us. And as we come into, not a religion, but as we come into this relationship with him, most of us are going to ask, most believers are going to ask, well, how do I live in this relationship? How do I enjoy this relationship? And for a lot of us, that's going to be translated into questions like, is this right? Is this wrong? Can I do this? Is, Is that okay? And many of us will, at some point or another, will look through scriptures to try to get questions like that answered And a lot of times while we're looking through the Bible, we're also looking at each other, aren't we? I mean, let's be honest. We get a lot of our cues about what is right and what is wrong by looking at other Christians. We take a lot of our cues for how we're going to live by the church that we attend. Church people have a great impact on what we understand about the Christian faith. Of how we live the Christian faith, of what we decide we're going to do or not do in the Christian faith. And that can be a very good thing. That can also be something less than very good, can it? Now, last week we began talking about church people how we relate with one another, how we help one another. And we, we entered, you know, we've been in Romans now for over a year and we're entering the last section of Romans. And last week we entered that, Romans chapters 14 through 16. And and these this section is about church people, about how you and I relate, about how we live for Christ together. And we saw last week, we said last week that, man, God's will for your life, for my life, is that we're growing closer together. That we're becoming more engaged with one another. More committed to one another. That's God's will for every believer. The problem is, is that as you and I get closer together, we find out, a lot of us, we, we've got some pointy elbows, don't we? we? We start bumping into each other's convictions. We start bumping into each other's different ideas. We, we bump into each other's hang-ups. And, and, and this makes it a little bit tough. And so, in the first half... Of Romans 14 last week we looked at verses 1 to 12 we heard we saw Paul saying hey listen on matters of conscience and we got to be clear about that we're not talking about biblical commands We're, we're talking about gray areas we're talking about matters of conscience and on that Paul says man give each other some space develop your rules develop your convictions but do that internally live by your rules and convictions but give each other space in how you do that man we have received grace so grace is what we give we've not received judgment so judgment is not what we give i mean you know when you read the first half of romans 14 Man, if you're not careful, if you're not mature, you could actually leave those first 12 verses and kind of get the feeling that God's just saying, oh, just live and let live. Whatever works for you, just, you know, work for you. Let it work for somebody else. It almost has, I think I said this last week, almost kind of has a loosey-goosey approach. And so today now in the back half of Romans 14, Paul does bring some balance Paul does bring a a little bit of a caveat to that live and let live idea because you see, while you and I are to respect each other's freedoms, and we certainly want our freedoms respected, we have to realize, we have to acknowledge how we live has an impact on others. And we're responsible for that. I'm responsible for the impact that my behavior, my actions, my decisions have on another believer. And so you see, the big question may not be, can I do this or can I do that? Maybe there's even a bigger question than that. Let's see what that question might be. Would you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 14 again? And we're going to look at the rest of this chapter, verses 13 to 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs there in front of you. If it's not right in front of you, it's on the row. Somebody will hand it to you. If you can't reach it, just point to it. Romans 14, get past the Gospels and Acts, you'll be in Romans. Matt, Romans 14, we're beginning in verse 13. It says there, "'Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another, "'but instead decide not to put a stumbling block "'or a pitfall in your brother's way. "'I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus "'that nothing is unclean in itself.'" To someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. For those of you that weren't here last week, you're going to hear a lot about eating and you're going to hear about meat. This is not a chapter about being a vegetarian. If you were here last week, you remember the context of this discussion is eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. Is that right? Is that wrong? Does it have an impact on us? And so we saw that last week. We see it in 1 Corinthians 8. So he's using this general term, eat and meat, but it's a very specific context. So when he says, if your brother is hurt by what you eat, if your brother is bothered, if your brother is hurt, if a wrong example is given because you were eating meat that he knew to be sacrificed to an idol... That's how we should understand that. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you're no longer walking according to love. By what you eat, do you destroy that one for whom Christ died? Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves the Messiah in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have faith? Keep it to yourself before God." Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith sins, is sin. Our big question today, folks, let's just get right to it, we won't build up to it or anything. Our big question is very simply this, what's the loving thing to do? Now I started off the sermon by a lot of questions and there's there's dozens, a hundred more questions about how you and I are going to apply scripture, how we're going to apply our faith in Christ, how we're going to apply it to our life. There's a hundred questions, there's a hundred places that we have to do that. We need to answer those questions. But just because you and I have come to a question, come to an answer that kind of as this passage ends, that we can answer in faith, I have studied God's Word, I know what God's Word says, I understand its principles, I believe it allows me to do this, I believe it does not want me to do this. Just because you and I have worked through that process, we've come to a conviction, does not then mean that the process is done. That doesn't mean that's the last question there is to be answered. The last question to be answered is now that I've come to that answer, how do I apply it lovingly? What is the loving thing with this person, this group, in this context, in this situation? What is the loving way to handle that? Now Paul, first of all, talks about kind of the negative way. What not loving looks like. And then he gives us what love does. In the negative way, he starts off there. You see in the passage, he says, man, don't put a stumbling block out there. Don't, don't hinder each other. I love that word hinder. Your, your translation may say hinder. It may say pitfall. It may say obstacle. In the Greek language, that actual word right there is a baited cage. It is a spring-loaded trap. Have you seen these? You know what that is? You ever used one? I have. I'm, a, of course, a mighty hunter. And uh, I had a squirrel in my attic. So I went and I got a uh, I got a a baited cage. It was a, you know it was supposed to capture the the animal alive so I can you know take it next door and release it in my neighbor's yard. <laughs> and so I I got this cage and I, I I I got it ready, set it all upright, took it up, put it in the attic to catch the 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 squirrel. It was a vicious rabid huge squirrel and uh so I, I took it up there and i put it in the attic and, and i didn't catch it and i didn't catch it and i didn't catch it but but good news i finally caught it bad news while i was on vacation yeah so the uh the little guy didn't make it and i knew that as soon as i opened the door to the uh, to the attic And so uh, I I took it out and, 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 you know, like I said, that was the end of it. So for that squirrel, although the cage was designed to to let it go alive, that cage kind of became the end of the squirrel, didn't it? Well, you know what's interesting? This word baited cage in the Greek language, they would also use it for people. Now, it wasn't talking about a person climbing into a cage after peanut butter and the door slamming behind it. No, but it would use this word when it would say, and we say this, that's going to be the end of them. You ever said that about something? Boy, that person's going to be the end of them. Boy, that job, boy, that habit, we'll be looking at something in their life and we'll kind of see where that's going and we'll say, boy, that's going to be the, just like we would say, boy, that cage, that's going to be the end of that squirrel. We would look at something and say, boy, that's going to be the end of them. Now, with that concept, understand what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you know what? The way you and I live... this is awful to think, isn't it? That the way I live, that the decisions I make could be the end of somebody? He's saying, hey, listen, you've got freedoms. You, You decide what your rules and convictions are, but don't let the way you live for Christ become the end of somebody. You might feel the freedom to do that, But if there is a younger believer, a a more immature believer behind you, a a not-so-stable believer behind you that's watching that, and that becomes the end of them, you're held accountable for that. Now, I think not as necessarily a believer, but as a good American, I mean, I know how we're going to respond to that. Don't put that on me. I have a right. You see, the scripture here is saying the biggest guide ought to be what is loving. In America, our biggest guide is I have a right. And by golly, if I have a right, you get out of my way. What it means to you, what it does, it doesn't matter. I've got a right. And we might look at this and you might use something like drinking. And say, man, I've got a right to drink. You know, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to have a drink. And that's accurate. The Bible does not say it's a sin to have a drink. But be careful how you quote that. Well, while it does not say it's a sin to have a drink, it also has almost nothing positive to say about the drink. It has a whole lot to say about too much to drink. But regardless of how much you're drinking, what Paul's doing here, and you heard him say it's a noble thing not to drink, is, hey, while you do that, there's people all around you that are taking cues of what the Christian looks like by looking at your life. You might be mature, you might only have a drink periodically, but you cast an example. You set a model. You set a path. You've got to be careful how you do that because it could be the end of somebody. And you're held accountable for that. You don't get to say, but I had a right. Boy, look at verse 15 here. And I kind of I look at verse 15 as kind of the center of this passage. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat. Now, you remember last week we said... Eating meat sacrificed to an idol is not a sin. Paul said very clearly, you can, you have a right, you have the freedom to eat meat that has been sacrificed to a sin. So when you put that meat in your mouth, it wasn't a sin. When you were not careful about who was around you, when you were not careful about the weakness of others, when you caused them to stumble, it becomes a sin because you were no longer acting in love And that is a command to act in love. And then then look at this next sentence. That's a whopper, isn't it? By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Christ looked at that person, they're weak in faith, they're weak in understanding Scripture, they're legalistic. Whatever it is that set them off about your example, whatever it is that set them off and, and caused them to stumble and hurt them, Christ looked at that person and valued them so much, He went to the cross for him them. He said, they're so valuable, I would die for them. And so the logic that Paul is following here is, are you making your freedoms and your rights of greater value than a person for whom Christ died? And you know what, folks, we do that. Yeah, I know Christ died for that person, but I have a right. What we just said is my rights are of greater value than the death of Christ, which is an interesting concept because our rights only come from the death of Christ. The very thing that gave value, the very thing that gave freedom, I'm now raising it above the death and the work of Christ that enabled that. We are to value people. We're to value what is going on around us all the time. We're to value the opportunity to set a model and to set an example. We're to value that above any right, any freedom that we believe we have. Now in verse 19, Paul begins to take this in a little bit more of a positive. He said, okay, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't put out that baited cage. Love is not irresponsible. Love is not uncareful. But now he comes in verse 19 and he talks about the positive of what love does. He says, you know, love, when you're dealing with a person, you're dealing with a situation, love is going to bring about peace. Love is going to to build up. So that means that as this person is watching me, whether I know they're watching me or not, as this person is watching, my actions don't create confusion. My actions don't create anxiety. Uh, my, my actions don't lead to fear, but just the opposite. My actions create security. My actions create clarity. My actions set a path that is good. Now you can look at the word peace, and peace can kind of be a neutral word, isn't it? You know, when I, when I come to this, and I came to this situation, I came to this relationship, and when I left, it was at peace. It was neutral. It was Okay. But folks, our goal with people is not just that we leave them in neutral. Man, we want to do better than that. So not only do we want there to be peace, but we want to build up. We want to encourage. What's what's the encouraging thing I can do here? What is the thing here that I can do that will build up? And that, by the way, doesn't mean you won't use, you won't exercise, you won't express your freedom It just means that in however you do that or don't do that, you're going to do that in a way that teaches, in a way that models, in a way that builds this person up so that the next time this issue, the next time this question rolls around, maybe they're just, even if it's just an inch, they're an inch closer to getting that resolved. They're they're an inch closer to being able to, as it ends the passage, to act in faith. So we don't want to leave a person in neutral. Man, we, how, what can I do that builds, that strengthens, that encourages their life? As we do this, folks, somebody could, you know, look at this passage. Now last week we got this live and let live attitude. This week you could read these verses and think, time out, <laughs> I got a question here. So Jesus wins all these freedoms for us but we don't actually get to use them anywhere? So, you know what, I, I, I get to do things now, but I don't get to do things. I mean, what is it? It sounds like we are not free, but bound by the law of the what? What's this called? The weaker brother. This passage, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, number of passages talk about you and I guiding our lives by the weaker brother. So do I, do I ever get to use this? Where, where do I get to express my freedom? There's always weak people around, isn't There. Now, first of all, we might want to remind ourselves of what we're free from. What, what are our freedoms? What, what is that about? What we're free from, folks, is fear. We're free from guilt. We're free from the law. You see, before Christ died, before he came into the world, before he died for your sins and my sins, your only access to God, my only access to God, our only way of getting into heaven was to live perfectly perfectly. Not sometimes, all of the time. We obey all of God's commands, all of the time, perfectly. Well, we all know we don't do that. There's not a single person in here that's ever done that. Which means then that we're living under the constant fear, the constant dread of rejection, uh, of judgment. We're bound by that. That's what Christ freed us from. And so now my access into heaven is no longer based on whether I did or did not mow my yard on a Sunday afternoon. I'm free from that. I'm I'm free from having to live by those kinds of rules. That doesn't mean it doesn't matter what my example on Sunday afternoon is. It just means that that no longer is is determining whether I get into heaven or not. That's what we're free from. We're, We're free from that kind of legalistic mentality. And so now we've got to decide where we exercise and where we don't exercise. You know, I almost kind of wish, hey God, could you just draw a real clear line that says, hey Randy, here's where you can just let your freedoms run. And over here you need to rein them in. Could you just draw that line for me, Lord? The problem is the line would always be moving, wouldn't it? I mean with each person, with each situation, from culture to culture. Some things, in some places, some things are going to really stand out. In some places, other things aren't going to stand out at all. So the line's always moving. So Paul doesn't give us a line. What does he give us? He gives us a word. Let love. Love is the line. In this culture, in this question, in this situation, with this person, let love be the final determinant of what you do here, of how you act in this moment. So with love as our guide, I want to wrap up chapter 14 with with a couple, actually four, four rules of engagement for church people, okay? Because we're going to bump into each other. We all have our ideas of what the Christian faith looks like and how we're to act and and how we're not to act. And the closer we get, the more that, that runs into each other. So let me give you four rules of engagement out of Romans chapter 14. The first rule... Does not come out of chapter 14 after having just said all that. The first rule is a backdrop to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 is about gray areas. But because we are discussing gray areas, let's not forget that there are black and white areas, right? Let's not make gray areas out of everything. Folks, God still gives commands. Romans 14 is not about those commands. Folks, sex outside of marriage is not a gray area drunkenness is not a gray area lying cheating stealing those are not gray areas that's that's not the kind of issues that we're discussing in romans chapter 14. in romans chapter 14 we're discussing issues where god does not give a direct word do this or don't do this that's what we're discussing And so on those areas, and now we move into number two, we have to make up rules and convictions for our life. Folks, you shouldn't do anything just because. You shouldn't do anything because that's what they do. I mean, folks, everything you and I do, every decision we make, every attitude we have, what we decide about right and wrong should come from God's word. We should look for the principles of this word, the character of this word. We seek the Holy Spirit in prayer. How do I apply that? How do I live that? The scripture guides everything that we do. So we build rules and convictions for our lives, and we live by those rules and convictions. But what do we not do with them? We don't judge others with them. Remember, we said that last week? Yes, it is absolutely right, appropriate, and good that you build rules and convictions for your life, but you do not use those rules and convictions to judge others. Not even in your own mind. Not, not even in the quietness of your heart do you sit there and look down on somebody else because they haven't come to the rule and conviction that you've come to. You say, well, why can't I do it in my mind? Because you're sending a message to your mind that you're a lot like God. You're sending a message to your mind that you know all things and that you're the standard and that you have the ability to look down on people. No, that's not a message you wanna be sending to yourself. So number two, build rules and convictions for your life and let them be for your life. Now here's the tricky one, number three. This is where it's not fair. I wanna say, wait a minute, God, that's not fair. Because you see, in number two, I just said, I'm not gonna use my rules and convictions to run over you. But in number three, where somebody else's rules and convictions are running over us, I want to tell them, see number two. <laughs> right? But this is what the back half of Romans 14 is saying. While I'm not going to judge you with my rules and convictions, when your rules and convictions are judging me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop and ask myself. I mean, I might. what I want to say is, I have a right. What I want to say, is, you know what the Bible says? But what Paul said in that moment, just stop and ask yourself, what's the loving way to respond right here? What's a loving way to respond? What's a loving way to act? What is a loving model or path to set as I respond to this person's rules and convictions? So on one hand, I don't use mine to run over others, but when somebody else is running over me, we respond in love. What creates peace? What builds up? And then lastly, our last rule of engagement, I think this is just kind of a step beyond love. What do you, th- what do you think is going to count in heaven? Do that. Look, look at verse 17 there. You know, Paul says, you know, when it, when it gets down to it, when you get in heaven, it's not going to be important that you got to express your freedom. When you get in heaven and you look back on that situation, that question, that person, you're not going to go, well, you know what? I'm sure glad right there. I, <laughs> I got the right to do that and I did it. And when you're stepping in eternity, when you're stepping in heaven, you're not going to look back and say, that's what I'm glad I did. You know, more than likely, you're going to look back on that moment and you're going to say, boy, I wonder if love could have gone another five minutes there. (laughs) I I wonder if I could have acted a little bit. Because that's what's going to count in heaven. Not what I got to do or didn't get to do, but joy, righteousness, peace, that's what's going to count. So when you're getting ready to respond to this person, and folks, let's just say it, you're completely right. They're completely wrong. But when you respond to them, just kind of imagine, when I'm standing in heaven, what will I wish I have done in this moment? What will accomplish the moment, this, the most in this moment, from the perspective of heaven? You know, folks, the, the bottom line, I believe, of Romans 14, I mean, it is answering questions. It, you, you know, we got gray areas. And Romans 14 is about matters of conscience, it's about dealing with gray areas. But I think the bigger teaching of Romans 14 is very simply this man, somebody's always watching. Well, not this. This is a very, there's almost nothing that is completely and totally private. Somebody's always watching whether you know it or not, and your life, your decisions, your actions are going to have an impact on what they understand about Christ, what they understand about the faith, what they understand about Scriptures. And by the way, we shouldn't hear that. We shouldn't look at that as a burden. Man, we should see that as an opportunity. Gosh, I pray for my life. I pray for your life that we're saying, Lord, for anybody who casts their eyes on me, I pray they see the beauty of my Savior. I pray they see the grace of my Jesus. I pray they see the wisdom and the greatness of the path that he lays out for us. God, use my life that way. Every day, in every relationship, and everywhere I go, don't we want our lives to be a light, to be a path to our Savior? Well, then that means we have to say, watch my life. And it'll show you the way to Him. Boy, that's a big thought, isn't it? Is that where we want to live? Is that where we want to be? Watch my life. It'll be the path to Him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross that you paid the penalty for my sins. That I don't have to live under the fear of, was I supposed to do that on Sunday? Was I not supposed to do that on Sunday? Can I do this? Can I not do that? Knowing all the while, while I ask those questions, I haven't done it. I can't do it. I'm not perfect. Only because of you, I no longer have to live under the dread of judgment. The expectation of rejection. Man, you have freed me from that, Lord. I thank you for that. In you, there is an opportunity to not live under the heaviness of rules, but to live under the joy of love and forgiveness and acceptance. And it just opens up a whole new freedom for us, Jesus. And I thank you for doing what I could not do for myself. I thank you for doing for all of us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, as we launch into that freedom, may we carry the, the importance and the weight of Romans 14 with us. That while we're freed up to live, we each make our own decisions. We don't judge each other. God, may we realize that our lives still Are a model. They're still an example. They still show something. God, I pray it would be the desire of each of our lives when we're at school this week, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're all alone. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, our life is a path to you. Our life is a path to your grace and to your goodness. May my life be that. May my home be that. May my family be that. May our church be that, God. May there be nothing about my life that puts a hindrance, a stumbling block, the end of somebody out there. I need your help in doing that too, Lord. And I thank you for that help. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.